Welcome to episode 69 of the Keizu Poetry Slam cast. My name is Tracy Smith, and the sexiest thing about episode 69 is that it features the first recording, in Kalamazoo anyway, of the Midwest Poetry Slam League. A bunch of us decided it was fun to travel around uh, each other's venues, hang out and do poetry. Why the fuck not? And the original idea for the league may have been probably Scott Woods, maybe Steve Marsh's. I don't think it was mine. I'm not that ambitious. But anyway, it was a good idea. It was a lot of fun. We did it for, I think it went, kept going for about three years. And the idea was to have fun and do things differently than the national tournament. Now, National Tournament has five judges. They score on a scale from zero to ten. They throw out the high score. They throw out the low score. They had the three in the middle. We just had three judges. And they would rank each round of poetry one, two, three. And then we'd add them together. And whoever got the lowest score, like golf, was the winner at the end of the night. Also, in a regular slam tournament, there are no props, no costumes, no musical accompaniment. That sort of shenanigans was encouraged in the slam league. Do whatever the fuck you want. Also, the National Tournament had a time limit. Three minutes. And time penalties. We said, fuck that. We're going to have a four-minute round, three-minute round, two-minute round, and a one-minute round, and no time penalties as far as scores. But if you go over time, you're going to get punished. Uh, one venue had one of those loud air horns. Other venues, the MC would just go up and shout in your face like a drill sergeant. <laughs> Eventually, uh, in Keizu, I bought a, a Nerf shotgun, and we would just shoot you. Trying to keep it silly, keep it zany. So anyway, this week's show is going to feature a slam, Midwest Slam League style, between a combined team from Keizu and Grand Rapids against Chicago and Ann Arbor. And this Slam League bout was hosted by Dawn Sailor. Uh, no open mic bit on this recording. Just gonna jump right in. Here we go. This is Slam Poem. Later, like the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach in the suburban noise of night. There's a question asked in one naked moment that never passed into place. I am the Smith. I am the poet. I am the Industrial Revolution. No longer bright as fireflies. Mark Jones had my brother pinned to the ground. I stood by and watched while he pummeled him in the face, me whispering, enough, that's enough. Later retelling the story to stunned friends, I had struggled to break free, arms held behind my back, but I was only held by a threat. You want to be next, huh? I stood by while he kicked my brother in the stomach. My brother started lifting weights because I stood by while he smashed his nose, cut his lip, cracked his ribs, bruised his kidneys. Television reporters interviewing a woman after saving four children. Strangers in a burning house she carried down one by one through blazing door frames. Or man after saving drowning dog from flood raged rivers. Always hear the same words from these heroes. I didn't think. I just did what I had to do. And I wonder if I would do the same. Or would I be one of the nameless onlookers measuring flame's heat versus thickness of skin or river's velocity versus strength of arms and legs? And by then, the hero has already acted, emerging blackened from coughing from smoke, carrying the last child in her arms or dripping and exhausted, dragging a golden retriever to dry ground. And I, in a room full of angry laughing heads, lips bare to show gnashing teeth, spitting acid slander, am reminded of Peter denying Christ once. He is not my brother. Twice, that is not my brother. Thrice, that is not my brother. 
and I at a family reunion in northern Michigan, hearing my uncle proudly sharing his newest repertoire of Korean shopkeeper jokes, me not laughing but silent, I'm reminded of a man on the side of a lonely Jasper Road, watching the corpse of James Byrd Jr. dragging in the gravel, bouncing in the air, clothes and skin and limbs shredded to pieces behind a pickup truck, the man whispering to himself, that ain't my brother, that ain't my brother. And I, in a smoky college bar, drinking a beer in private, hearing the pack of Alpha Omegas ramble off their drunken litany of ass pirate, fudge packer, bone liquor. I'm reminded of a reluctant man in a darkly lit Laramie bar, wanting to warn Matthew Shepard that the pretenders he was leaving with had nothing but blood on their brains, saying nothing as Matthew walks out the door to a wooden fence and a pistol whipping. And back in the bar, the man whispers to the bottom of the shot glass, that's not my brother. That was not my brother. I always wanted to be the hero. Always wanted to do the right thing, but always thinking too much, shutting my mouth instead. Scars on my tongue read like a thesaurus of all the words I never said. But no more. That's enough. The next time I see a father cuff his child, I will call him out. The next time I hear the bangs and crashes, the ensuing weeping from the upstairs apartment, I will pound on that door. The next time I see a cross burning, I will tear it down. The next time I am called to act, I will not think. I will not shrink. I will do what must be done. sequence of a Tarantino film. Slow motion. The guns hadn't been drawn Funky yet. Music. And completely unaware, we smiled. Across the bar, there's this tall, thin guy. With a weird-looking beard. He's looking us up and down, acting like he's been expecting us. He gets up, goes over to the bar. And his leather jacket sways behind him when he walks. He gets up, goes over to the bar. The effect? Very, very dramatic. dramatic. His eyes slip from side to side in time with the baseline spinning out of the Wurlitzer. He is restless. This guy's got issues. Something's really going on for him. He checks his pockets and... And apparently doesn't find what he's looking for because he says, God, God damn, damn it, it motherfucker! motherfucker! To no one in particular. Checks the clock. Looks at the bathroom. Books out the door. It's 3 p.m. The clock reads 3.15. The bartender's like staring at us now from his perch. And realizing we're standing two feet from the door, we take the stools at a corner table. We exchanged what you might have thought was a meaningful glance. It was actually just the, I gotta take a piss nod. To which I give the, yeah, I can dig it, nod. But when I go to get up, some freak comes running out of the bathroom with his pants around his ankles screaming about, King, King Ted! Ted! But he couldn't run, really. It was more of a hop. And his hop was so vigorous that his uh, member was striking his belly with an audible force. It was like a slap, slap, slap. That echoed through the near-empty bar. 
And I'm all, who the fuck is King Ted? Well, that's pretty much when it went from Tarantino to full-on Fellini. Eric's crossing his legs and shifting in his seat. He's now wide-eyed as I've ever seen him. And now the freak is making a beeline for our table. Hopping and slapping. Now he's drooling, yelling about, King Ted, you sketchy motherfucker! A thick stream of slobber is clinging and swaying from his chin. The bartender is nonplussed. He's dividing his glances between... The door and this naked freak's ass. Door. Ass. Door. Ass. Door. Ass. Like he's watching a tennis match. At this point, we think King Ted arrived. We can only surmise this from the Burger King crown he was wearing. On which the word Ted was crudely pasted in rhinestones. At this, Mr. Slap Slap stopped dead in his tracks. And the slobber began its descent, slowly arcing to the floor in a pendulum-like motion. Dead silence. The few folks in the bar stared, silently squinting in the mid-afternoon sun. The naked man quivered. He looked like he might start to cry in that truly pathetic way that men can cry when all hope has abandoned them. His face all twisted around. And he's real close to our table. Too close. I could have touched him, but I didn't. God, I had to piss. Yeah, Eric's all like shifting and fidgeting, but now his hands are tucked firmly between his thighs. And at this point, I'm really like, what the fuck, man? So, so, you know, I can't stand anymore. I just stand up and I go, are you King Ted? Then Mr. Slap Slap lost it. Falling to the floor, he began bucking his hips and kicking all the while, blubbering and drooling and wailing, yelling about, what a fucked up world, what, what a, a fucked, fucked up world. world. Like he's a wicked witch of the West and Dorothy just emptied the bucket on Only him. Only this time, no flying monkeys. For a second... I was distracted by this spectacle, but then I remembered that my question really wasn't answered, so I'm all, dude, are you King Ted? He opened the mouth of, he opened the mouth that lived on the bottom half of his enormous face, but, but get this, right then, the bearded guy, remember him from earlier with the jacket? He walks in, passes, pushes past the new guy into the bar, and he has a gun. But not just any gun. He had a black chrome pistol grip, per, uh, 12 gauge Mossberg with a pearl ghost ring sight and a glittering pink sticker on the slide that read, Diva. And she's all, whoa. And he's all, no, that's a fucking gun. The bartender pulls him out from out behind the bar. He seems slightly pissed. And now Captain Weirdbeard is near tears. He goes over to Mr. Slap Slap, who's laying on the floor, helps him up. They turn towards us, and Weirdbeard goes accusingly. You insensitive motherfuckers! Have you no heart? No soul! You motherfuckers in your judgments! All you care about is sex and dancing! You'll run in hell, all of you! And he fired one shot straight into the chest of the would-be King Ted, effectively ending his reign over whatever it may have been. If nothing more than this utterly disgusting naked freak on the floor. seconds. We left before the cops showed up. Because, you know, I hate cops. And because he'd peed his pants. That too. We have Catherine! Yay! This is rife, pouring down on my round bulbous. Yes, that's a few sizes larger than cookie cutout bony eating one leaf of lettuce a day, working the calories of that piece of lettuce through running five miles. Cosmopolitan wannabe ass. Oh no, you didn't, says the can't get it up unless she looks like a boy with no tits, ass, or hips, proving femininity in any which way. Biatch with a dick. So? I lost weight for you, so I'd look less like the woman my cunt makes me out to be, but, but, 
This is anger at 4.37 in the afternoon, watching my stomach travel over the upper belly of my underwear, naked in a chair. And if I appreciate one more time the negation of my body, I swear to God, I will learn from this country to blow away the delusions and walk with my swaying hips and braless breasts, bareback into a suburban bread, waist gotta be size four mall, place my bomb made out of PMS, chocolate craving, boob swelling, ache, cramp tearing my insides, pain. No five pills of Midol or some Prozac could ever cure. Uh-oh, which wire to cut to destabilize this bomb? The red, the blue, the red, the blue, fuck you. This is more than premenstrual, during menstrual, postmenstrual, anti-menstrual, feminine whining for some, please, just hold me. I'm tense, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm craving, I'm misunderstood. Penis envy, oh shit, it's not her biology that determines when she's gonna go off the handle. This handle on me mishandled me. Shut up, bitch, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah, you kiss your mama with that mouth, boy, this is a call, not a cry for some radical resectioning and reconstructing of this lazy ass can't get its act together enough to show some equality up in here, US of A, this, because that might mean the rich white boys would have to share some space in their Fortune 500 jacuzzi filled with $150 glass champagne as they move manufacturing out of the country because they don't have to pay poor Filipino women more than a dollar a day with no health benefits and no labor unions and while they're at it why don't they pay off the dictator so he'll be their yes man when push comes to shove US of A this scared shitless because women and minorities might be able to do the job on merit just as well US of fucking A this is wait <laughs> I think you missed the point <laughs> what if a man wrote this then would I still just be a whiny bitch high on my Aunt Flo's sentiment? Would I still be that complaining supposed dyke you heard tonight in a bar somewhere who just hasn't gotten enough deep dicking and some ass kicking to teach her a lesson? What if I told you, I fuck men, I love men? Would that mean I'm still a hardened, unromantic, insecure about her big-ass white girl who got in a fight with her boyfriend and decided to take it out on an audience full of men who almost just look like a big blob of ex-lovers who dumped her and sleazy bosses who tried to grab her ass? What if I told you I'm a damn nice person? I hardly ever say things like this. Would that excuse it then? Could you blow me off then as that girl who just needed to get some anger off her chest, she'll go home and calm down because nothing's really that bad anyway. I mean, after all, gosh, we've come a long way, baby. Maybe you'll even smile as you light my cigarette and hold the door open because you know it's always ladies first. And there's certainly nothing wrong with being polite. Right, boys? Right. But I'm not bitter. No. This is. Thank you. All right, all right, all right, sweet dude, yay, first round. All right, now, this is how it works, all right? I'm giving you the skinny. I'm letting you know what's going on here, man. I'm filling you in, all right? We have three judges, all right? They each get a number one, a number two, and a number three. They're, they're going to give one poet one of those numbers, another poet another one of those numbers, and another poet. What is, you don't get more than one. You have to choose one, two, or three. You can't use a one twice. You can't use a three three times. It doesn't work that way, man. Hey, hey, won't you talk back to me? I'll kick your butt, dude. And then I'll steal your wife. <laughs> all right, so what we're going to do is we're going to bring all three poets back up on stage, and we're going to talk to the judges, and we're going to see. We're going to work it out, man. It'll be like a revival meeting. Y'all will be touched. 
Maybe poets. I'll just do the touching. Poets. 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 Oh, yes. When you reach your time limit for your round, you will hear this voice say... It's the voice of God. Ten seconds. <laughs> At the end of ten seconds, you will hear... <laughs> <laughs> and that means your poem is done. Yeah. Dumb? No, not just, dumb. Just so you know. Oh. In, a in Ann Arbor, we had Eric on the side of the stage screaming, You're over time! <laughs> I'm, I'm this is a little, a little more subtle. A little more subtle. All right. Scores. So judges, okay, we're going we're gonna to go... Is this my right? Yes. This is my right to my left, all right? Oh, I'm sorry. One. It's like, you know, golf or, or anything else. One, two, three. Happiness. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Here we go. We have Kim and Eric from the Ann Arbor team, all right? Let's get your scores up. Yay! Okay, all right, here we go. We got a one, we have a two, and we have a you need to come forward. Rock on, dude. We have a one, a two, and a three for Eric and, 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 and Kim. And then we have Todd from, from Kalamazoo Grand Rapids. So we have, we have a two, a three, and a three. It is 6.30 in the morning, and no, I haven't just jumped fresh from the sheets to get in an hour or two of crisp tapping before showing up at some damned job. I've been at this all night like this is the job, the work, and I've been looking for a word, a single word that I can own like Dylan Thomas owns rage, or Tom Waits owns whiskey, or Amiri Baraka owns otherwise. Otherwise... I'd be tossing and turning some more, carving a trench in the mattress, and we all know the saddest mattress trench there is is the one you carve out alone. Alone. But certainly someone else owns that word. And dignity, well, I can't touch it. Phoning lost relatives in a pitiful attempt to scrape together rent money. Picking food from the plates of poets who are skinnier than I am. Even rationing out the baby oil when I jerk off. Jerk off. Maybe that's my word, except it's two, a phrase Bukowski already claimed. The drunk bastard stole all the trashiest words, and I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> dead. Dead is not a word I want, and some Russian chalked that one up. Even though it's translated before I read it, it still counts. Portentous is good. Portentous. But it's a bit too steeped in meaning, and meaning needs escaping from time to time. So how about contingency, or apex, or cloister, or excretion, or crowbar, or, or alacrity, or war? I think back to undergraduate poetry classes, the words my mentor, who lost his mind and vanished into the Southern Californian sunset, no doubt he's walking the beach in Bermuda shorts with a metal detector, his head so stuffed with surrealism that his skull is perpetually tilted and nobody can find closure with a tan like that, would cross off entire lines, which I'd assumed were genius, and he would take his red pen and slash the word clever in the margin. Clever was bad, and red is the most sarcastic of inks, a color I would later use as a graduate thesis reader, and once when a chemistry student had included not one, not two, but three exclamation points at the end of his no-doubt genius thesis resolution, I took that sarcastic red pen and wrote in the margin, Eureka, with not one, not two, but three exclamation points. 
But I was thinking more of the single word my mentor most often crossed off, which was certainly. And the two-word phrase he scarred out over and over with his red pen, of course. And let's not forget my and so ons and therefores and et ceteras and needless to says. After clever, his favorite marginal red reprimand was that very word, red, an abbreviation for redundant. But old habits die hard, cliche. Otherwise, I fall dead from a whiskey rage, clever. Of course, no one can really own a word unless you've got a real big pile of money. And sitting here writing instead of getting ready for some damn job, Ten I certainly seconds. can't afford one. Eureka! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! Yay, Matt Ernst! The puppy who would be Pope. Friends and fellow clergymen, priests and beasts, yeast counselors and focuso guildsmen, I have come before you tonight to glibly disseminate the eternal table salt of knowledge, by which I mean archbishops and deacons, beacons and beakers and bunsen burners and other people in pointy hats. It is time for us to set aside our petty tribal differences, order them in a neat little pile alongside our pit helmets and delicate lace panties, and come together in the ancestral hot tub that lies between good and otherwise. Let us lie in the ancestral hot tub. Let us lie and languish, languish and reflect as we puff on large cigars stuffed with emollient and royal jelly. Let us reflect upon each other like funhouse mirrors draped in red velvet. It's fun, isn't it? But even as we revel in this moment of revelation, let us also twist our antennae towards the darkened utility closet of the future. Who can say what unkempt mutiny the future holds in its toxic bellows, waiting to flump, 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 clump under the three-legged stage of destiny like a wise old bespectacled turtle man hiding untold mischief neath his shell? Certainly I cannot say such a thing, for I am but a puppy. But there are some things I can say. I know that you can't spell Pope without PP, and you can't spell puppy without PPP. I know as well that though my paws are padded and my ears oh so floppy, my bark echoes with the catacombs of reason like a blazoning klaxon, and my very claws rip through deceit like flower beds to shred even the most profane document in the blink of a consecrated eyelash. Do you understand, my brethren? Do you whiff the tenor of my snuff box? Who among you wants another pious or an innocent? when before you stands the very epiphany of fragrant dogmatics. Yea, for mine is the puppy dog kingdom forever and ever and ever. Follow me, my people, and I shall blend your catalogs into an assortment of pictographic handlebars. Take hold of my boundless leash and lead me to defile the gardens of thine enemies. And in turn, I shall lead thee not into Penn Station, no, never that, but rather into the wide open meadowland of applesauce promised by our holy chrysanthemum. Yes, follow where I lead and lead where I follow and together shall we enter a bold new barbecue pit filled with fire hydrants and with chew toys and short ribs for all. And was the puppy as good as his word? Did he really lead the church into a bold new barbecue pit? And what of the meadowland of applesauce of which he so often and so fondly spoke? Could there really be such a place? Well, my friends, these are all good questions but I'm afraid that you must each look within and seek out the answers for yourselves.
Maybe it's like my parents always said. You don't know the whole story on that one. You know when it's time. She'll just hold you back. Life will come to you when you're ready for it. I was confused. It didn't seem like I was fucking things up this time. The distance of a decade. She and I dared tiptoe over a chasm. In split generations, our love was tesseract. It broke time like a Chinatown pocket watch. I got an education my parents never would have paid for. I learned about keg stands and shotgunning and upside down cocktails. And she was there like a genius drunken angel all along. Friends, she never knew the me I wanted her to see. She was always blind that way. She was my flashlight in Plato's cave, burning pantomimes and red lines on the back of my eyes. I bided my time waited her out until two sets of suntan chap lips found each other in the dark, and I held on with two arms and two legs. The entire situation was entirely unconventional. I was never before partnered with a woman who would challenge, push, and force me to be the better man, the best man she saw inside. She saw, taught me to be civilized and domesticated, showed me how to appreciate the future. We gently held hands and smiled at each other, while behind our backs we hurled handfuls of plutonium at hydrogen bombs floating across a gasoline sea. I gave her a new perspective. Let her know it's okay just to be, forced her to relax, to laugh at life. We taught each other to love and married five years later. Despite the obvious cliche of the moment, I did cry as she walked down the aisle and choked on my wedding vows. Oh, hushed words spoke in rose petals and eider down. But our eyes screamed Molotovs and Chernobyls, fingertips on lips like a kitchen timer on a supernova. Everything was just pretend before. Children playing house. Now finally we were adults. Now we were waiting for something. When we ignited, we burned the world for kindling and blazed silent in the void. Like a sun, we burned people's eyes and scorched dry, fresh fields of precedent. And we were just too far away for them to understand. We earned our degrees and waited. But together, we moved to Kalamazoo and waited. We were stable. We pursued our careers and waited. But together, something was coming. Binary. When we were ready for it. Fusion. It would come. We, we were, were waiting. waiting. Close enough to hear her whisper in space. Until I no saw words. her lying on her a table. She her swollen stomach, so quiet. slick. My a shadowy alien so swimming soft. in a black she and said, white screen. An underwater so heartbeat she calling said, to us shoo, shoo, together. Shoo, shoo, shoo. You're ready. I am coming. We're ready. Where time let us down. We're ready. We prepare as hearts beat in empty space. We keep time for each other and wait and grow together. Yay, all the poets! Yay, poets! All right, did I fail to mention that you have to have a team piece? Did I mention that? No, I didn't because I would remember if I mentioned it. So what we're going to do is, poets, we need you back up here, please. I want to dance around you in circles and, and, and spread pixie dust all over you. Judges, you are getting ready. You are deciding. You are thinking very hard about this. So am I. Hi, train. Everybody wave to the train. Ready? Hi, train. Uh, hey, you all are lame. All right. Here we go. So very first, we have Matt Ernst from Ann Arbor. Ready? Yeah. All right, give me some scores, judges. All right, we have, all right, we have a three, we have a two, and we have a two. All right, all right, for Ann Arbor. Okay, next up. We have Morris. Everybody, give me your scores for Morris. Here we go, here we go, here we go. It's tense. We have a one. We have a one, and we have a one, yay! 
So, so then we have Todd and Nate from Kalamazoo. We have a three, we have a two, and we have a three. All right, everybody clap really loud for the poets because they rock. Thank you guys. I love you. All right. It's the film that covers your head the morning after driving home drunk. It's waking up next to a nameless woman in your bed. It's like replacing one soggy tampon with another. It's the sneaky suspicion that the neighbor's dog knows more than you do about yourself. You try to tell yourself that there's greatness right around the corner, that all of this will change with one swoop of inspiration, that the next or first American anthem of a poem is forming itself in the back of your head, where you keep all your ideas for inventions and suggestions should Dan Aykroyd ask you how to be funny again. If angels are real and dogs can see them, then pluck an exposed piece of my canine and pump Rottweiler slobber into the exposed roots as I wish for visitation. Huh. At the point that I say that I apologize for all that you saw when I thought that I was alone. I merely grifted what I could when I felt justified. Sunny Day used to say that you're married to the pain, and if this is true, I now pronounce myself man and pity. It's like replacing one soggy tampon with another. It's watching the minute hand become the second hand, become the minute hand, become the hours you try to talk yourself into going out again tonight to try to touch a human hand. All the while knowing that a drink offered and taken is a contract agreement for sex. It's the three nights in a row you think watching the clock at home is more fun than the legal defense you'll have to impose at the male half-breed at the local bar when you argue that no, I did not sign a piece of paper when I took that sip. Don't call me baby. Well, okay, just once. <laughs> okay, here's my number. Okay, here's my thigh. One more drink, why not? You're looking cuter all the time. It's pulling on your clothes when the sun rises and not looking back at the sleeping frame behind you. This is not, not how it was supposed to happen, happen or end. end. Because it's okay to believe in human hands instead of clocks and watches and alarms ticking time and fear like pellets of water dripping rhythmic dead sea in your ears. That it's okay to believe that there's, there's a, a voice that, that matches, matches yours in a way that you can't quite imagine just yet. Like how you used to dream about your very first kiss, pressing lips to your pillow when you were 10 and wishing. Knowing, hoping there is some fever you will catch. Somebody's breath you will inhale, just like in the movies, only better. And for a moment, maybe, just maybe, you'll hear infinite instead of ticking dead water in the hollow of your head. And for that moment, you will hold hands with someone. And for a moment, your two hands will stop time. That was Catherine and Joel. And next up, from Kalamazoo, we have Nate, 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 Nate. I have been done a grave injustice. Something was taken from me when I was very young. So young, in fact, that I could not defend myself against this theft. 
Those bastards took one of the few things I brought with me into this world, one of the few things I could truly call my own. And you might say, well, what could they take from a widow baby? But goddamn it, 72% of the men in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. I want my foreskin back. I don't know why they took it in the first place. It's important. A foreskin's a terrible thing to waste. And it's not like I can dance out of my parents. They just look at me and shake their heads. My mom said it was my dad's idea. And my dad said it was just a thing to do. And I said the thing to do was to assault Mr. Tito with a paring knife? What the hell were you thinking? Was mom just sitting there holding me in her arms with the doctor walked in and nonchalantly mentioned in passing that he thought it'd be a great idea if he, oh, you know, hacked my package? <laughs> well, son, there are a couple of things you should know. First of all, the foreskin isn't an essential part of the body, and it carries with a certain risk of infection. Well, well maybe your guidance counselor can explain this better. What? It isn't an essential part of my body. It's sheathed my broadsword. Even the dog has his foreskin. Why didn't you circumcise Benji, Dad? <laughs> well, well, what your father's trying to say, dear, is that he, he just wanted you to look like him, you know, down there. Why? So he can pick me out of a crowd? Genetics ain't strong enough, Dad? You gotta have the captain's eye patch, too? I want it back. Oh, yeah, I want it back. I want the world's greatest plastic surgeon to fashion me a bionic foreskin. It'll be 18 inches long. USA can make a special feature film about me called The Boy Who Got His Flat Back. I want my foreskin to be broadcast around the world. I want John fucking Bobbitt to look at his television and say, Nothing, because he'll be too busy weeping like a little Nancy boy at the sight of my gargantuan reattached foreskin. But it'll be more... <coughs> it'll be more than that. It'll, it'll be the... Ha! Huh. Like I was saying, it'll be the world's first ever fully automated biotic foreskin 6000. And it'll be programmed by a special team of experts from Microsoft, including Bill Gates, because he lost his foreskin too. Yeah, and it'll have a penny and four processor. I want to surf the internet with my penis. Oh, it'll glow in the dark. I can use it for a flashlight. It'll have a, a little ha handheld organizer thingy in it. We'll call it the, uh, the rosy palm pilot. I want my foreskin back, and I want it to make a noise when I get a hard on like this. Shink. And I want it to be voice activated, so I do want to get a, get a hard on one of those times, you know, like at the pool or in the showers after gym class. I can say, bionic foreskin 6000, initiate standby sequence, and it'll shut itself down. Mom, Dad, nothing personal. But it's not easy to explain to your uncut friends why well-educated parents decide to lop, 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 lop off your wiener wrapper. It just doesn't make sense. And let me put it this way. When that special day comes in my life, when my wife is holding little Nathan Jr. in her arms and the doctor comes in with a surgical buzzsaw to go to work on my kid, he better watch out. He might lose more than his composure. Damn, said they, when I walked into work today, clad in black, clinging dress, shoulders pulled back, chest pushed out by the only platforms in my closet tall enough to allow the length of my frock. Damn, they said. They said in hushed tones as if I couldn't hear. I didn't know she was hot. And that wasn't all they didn't know. They didn't know, for example, that I haven't done laundry in a month, that the pants they saw me in twice last week were making their fourth public appearance since they'd last known water. They didn't know that I'm too broke to spring my clothes from the dry cleaner. For example, they didn't know that the reason I was making this club kitten appearance at the office was because I didn't think I could get away with the plastic silver pants that were my only other option this morning when I rolled out of bed 18 minutes before I had to leave. And long, form-fitting black dresses with funky, chunky shoes just look silly without lipstick. 
When my mouth died red, my eyes seemed naked, so the next thing I know, I'm busting out the liquid black eyeliner my lids haven't seen since last Halloween. They didn't know there was no time to wash the hair, but luckily I have this freaky compulsion to never leave the salon with less than $30 worth of product. So, a dab of mud, a dollop of manipulator, a touch of fiber, a bit of taffy, a smidge of grease, and a spritz of spritz later, I'm diva to the nines and only seven minutes late. A last glance in the mirror reveals that at this point there's really no point in modesty, so the black choker goes on before I slide into the faux fur, collared and cuffed, black wool trench out the door, drive to work. And my reflection in the front door as I reach for the handle demands that I do a sassy little about face, strut back to my car and drive until I find a runway or a photographer or at least a pricey, fabulous little bar where I can be loud and gorgeous all night. I ignore this and enter. The narrow carpeted space between the cubicles becomes my catwalk. Feeling unusually saucy for 9 a.m., I commence my sachet towards the desk, working my ensemble for every stitch it's worth until I hear the whispers. I notice this new appreciation on their eyes, the smiles of approval, nods of recognition. Yes, they nod. This is the kind of beauty we can see, nodding to each other and then to me as if to say, we knew you had it in you. We're so pleased you chose to shine. They validate my wardrobe choice with gazes that sweep from legs to hips to breast to face to ass as I pass. They didn't know that anger flushed my face under the dusty rose blush as my mind conjured images of blazing marquees, carnival lights, neon flashing arrows pointed at me. Step right up and see the amazing, beautiful woman here. Limited time only. I push it harder, now I'm walking slower in defense, forcing my steps into a straight line causing hips and ass to sway. I have resigned myself to a day of stares, not intended to mask intention. Gaze upon me then. Drink me in. Watch the beauty myth move through the cubicles and push out of your mind six months of khakis and tees. Hair pushed back with scarves and barrettes, overalls always on Fridays. Ignore the dutifully hidden but inevitably noticed unshaven legs and armpits. Just pretend that the pretty but plain resident feminist has seen the light. They had seen me every day for six months, but they never saw me. They didn't know I noticed. They didn't know that I was still the same me that they still didn't see, and that tonight, after work, I will make a trip to the laundromat, write a bad check to the dry cleaner, and never show up to work in drag again. Aw, shucks. Upon being asked, if this isn't your career, what do you do? I replied, muse this. I'm a poet, like an anarchist librarian, alone atop her Harley hog, finding stillness at 60 miles an hour, like that laureate that stayed in town just long enough for a quick buzz and chuck treatments. I'm a poet, like that English professor that forced you to write Sistinas and Villanelles and broke you down with Shakespeare, Blake, and Emerson and told you never to rhyme in the very last line because it was tacky. I'm a poet, like Kerouac or Kerouac or whatever the hell his name was, like that one guy who killed himself over his girlfriend and drank too much because his father was an asshole. I'm a poet. I make bad decisions like Hemingway won a Pulitzer Prize and destroyed an array of exotic creatures and drank too much and killed himself because his father was an asshole. A poet. A visionary. I'm a broke, miserable visionary. Muse this. I'm a steady imperfectionist obsessing over the status quo, a surreal realist with alcoholic tendencies like that clerk you sneered at rolling past the drive through window or that guy in the, on the bus with the fuck you hat and that smelled, sat too close and smelled like empty beer cans. I'm a poet like Maya Angelou only. I'm a white guy. I'm 
broken, miserable. I'm a, I'm a poet. I can taste it. I can smell it. I can feel it. I can take a simple metaphor and change it into something more egregious, inordinate, amazing, like that janitor you thought was just a janitor. I'm a poet. I take chances, linking words together, showing you illusions, changing your perceptions, moving mountains with my imagination. I can carelessly and callously arrest your absolution, then effortlessly gently rip your heart up with a torrid composition about how I drink too much and want to kill myself because my father was an asshole, like coming on, Cummings on an absence drink, like Shelling on an absinthe binge, a poet like my mother and my father and my unborn children singing songs of love and lacing them with lusty melodies, chanting mysterious mantras, and always taking the road less traveled. A poet who never misses a chance to tell you how he really feels. Muse this. I'm a poet, and I'm not afraid to admit it anymore. Yay, Dan! Yay, Dan! All right, and next up, from Ann Arbor, Michigan, we are going to have... Logic Alley! Yay! Oh, you can use props and musical accompaniment. Yay! Been anything she wanted him to be. She remembered it. She was only 17, but she remembered. Even after she dumped him for a cuter guy. That's why she let him in the day he came to talk. Why she went for a ride with him to the park. Why she didn't scream when his hands went to her throat. She remembered that he loved her. Even after his fingers tightened and bruised. Her hurting, him crying, her pleading. They remember her picture in the morning paper. Remember, they should have done more. Whereby being is the way through which we are, and whereby the way in which we are maintains the way through which we do, and wherein the way in which we do, there are perhaps four faces that are true. Where all the silly rest remaining, they attempt approximation and by most succeed, though there are hearts, and they can ascertain the red from rouge, the shit from steak. The fraud from saint, and we, we might have sipped from where the saints had wept their saline piety into greatest torrents of devotion. There is but one most sacred place where friendly chapels sang of you, 
where water thoughts were lapping, lapping all around the me of this, lapping around the silly, sunken, purewile, smile-shaped pool, where all the many yous that never yet or might have danced within their many crusts and troughs would sit in darkened tangents, where all the truthful laughing vanished. For if I smile, it is only because I think you might want to see me smile. And if a shadow falls harsh and sharp, it is only because the sun demands of it that. And if I frown, it is only because I think you might expect it from me. And if a tree sighs yellow and dry, it is only because the earth held back. And if I love you, it is only because I do. So, whereby being is the way through which we are, and whereby the way in which we are maintains the way through which we do, and wherein the way in which I do, I give to you my truest face, which so submits so utterly that my being has been my friend. Ten seconds. And I am happy. You are alive. Thanks. Yay! Crystalline bells break when rung and melt in the heat of the sun, becoming semi-solid raindrops, sharp and dry, scratching, stinging, scraping the eyes, drawing the blue blood, mixing, blending, forming salty crystal that suspends itself in time and is impossible to find in an objective reality. It burns the skin, you see. It succumbs to the physical plea of the world. When it is a cold world, chilly, frozen world where chilling children play with cooled-down imagination that solidifies the semi-solid raindrops into a sheet of cloudy glass. A clouded, perfect glass. So perfect it freezes fast over the eyes, shielding, blocking, painting over the searing heat that kindles burning deep down, and it sends it down so far that fire freezes. And I promise, I pray, Next time, I'll try, I'll start again. I'll try and make those bells from brass. Yay, yay! Shana from Ann Arbor. Next up, from Chicago, we are going to have Joel. Yay, Joel! If there was a minute left in the day, I'd waste it, get wasted, or a facelift, just face it. I'm merely wasting space. And if space is endless, then so is potential, which I have, and so do we. And we in French means yes, <laughs> which is the way I think of us. And exclamated, of course, that frightens the rest. 
But in the deepest of sleep brought on by chokeholds, worry exists. Somewhere close to maybe, and together they taunt me with possibility, probability, a flawed humility that occupies the most tender landmine in my mind, which I find is hindsight. A construction site where workers strike and equal rights and pay hikes. I can't afford them, though, regardless of their potential. So the minute slips by with me idle, wasted, and ignorant. So I watch the minute slip by. Let's watch the minute slip by. It's a minute to get sick by. In a minute, I'll be in sick bay. I'll watch all the needles stick me. You let all the dogs sick me. I'll bite all the dogs that bit me. I don't mind all the dogs that licked me. The landmines will never lick me. Alarm clocks are always ticking. My ticks are alarmed by smiling. Smile at me and I'll be tickless. My psyche will become ticklish. Your smile is on my wish list. So just wish, just wish for a smile a minute, and in a minute we'll wish for another, and just watch the minutes. Yay! And last forward up in the round from Kalamazoo Grand Rapids is going to be Kalamazoo Grand Rapids, Beth Bulmer, yay! I want to be tough, like muscles, abs, pecs, biceps, glutes, triceps, driven to the edge, pushed and pumped, stretched and stringy, never strong enough, tight, throbbing, unnatural bulges in well-oiled, vein-popping poses. I want to flex when you bend me. I want to narrow like cement-chipped, bottle-tipped eyes, slice to slits, the bloodshot shoot to kill, don't come too close, won't back down, I don't care. Stare, stifling the starlit stiffness of a deep-set alley, you don't dare stroll alone. I want to peel like calloused skin under your dirty nails, scab like raw wounds, wear barbed wire, fishhook, and skull tattoos, prison blue with scars stitched through the harsh designs. I want you to call me Roach, because I'm going to be scary, like head-shaved, cheeks, three-day scruff, earring, nose ring, lip ring, tongue ring, dick ring, cellophane packing, cigarette smoking, voice gone gruff as rough leather, with silver spiked shoulders and studded collars, wrist chains and wallet chains. I want to swear at small children, swallow raw eggs whole, grind my teeth in public, and spit because I'm going to be hard-assed, hard to get around, hard-hearted in my ink and sterling disguise, mean-looking in ripped jeans, buffed up, shit-stuffed and puffed with attitude. I want all y'all to walk away just shaking your head saying, man, she's tough. All right, end of that round, and we're going to get all the points back up here. We're going to have Beth, and we are going to have... Shauna, and we are going to have Joel, and the judges are going to judge, and they're going to be judge-like. This poem is dedicated to the cute boy who once saw read a poem that went, I tried to write a sensitive poem, but nothing rhymes with genitalia. <laughs> if I were a gardener, I'd give you an azalea. If I knew your address, then every day I'd mail ya. 
If I were a haberdasher, I'd dress you in regalia. If I were a doctor, I'd cure those things that ail you. If it were your birthday, I'd throw you a bacchanalia. If you were incarcerated, rest assured, I'd bail you out. If I were Sylvia Plath, I'd read you my juvenalia. If a rhino should attack you, I'd not let him impale you. If I were a taxonomist, I'd classify you as the cutest boy in the genus Mammalia. But if I taught you poetry, you bet your ass I'd fail you. By useless products that soothe you and comfort you. Sit back, relax, take it easy. Actualize time and realize money. Live with the dreams of the rabble and the riffraff. Capitalize, merge and acquire, patronize, consume and appropriate. Sit back, relax, and stay quiet. Fear God, love America, make the Romans proud. Think about mom and that sweet apple pie. Believe that heaven is a white wicker rocking chair on the porch in the backyard. And hell is a trailer park in Wichita Falls. And believe, if for only one instant, that you are truly free. Make peace with complacency and meditate with the TV on. Use the static as your mantra, your own. Um, Fear God, love America, find beauty in your beer commercial silicone substitute, stay calm and subdued in your lazy boy with your cathode rays. You can live through that tube, kill some time, try to keep up with the Joneses. You can raise your station, feed your nation, trust your intrinsic sense of misgiving, but stay quiet and be thankful. Take comfort in your stoicism. Sit back, relax, take it easy, kill some time. In America, it's all you've got. Yay, Dan Stevens! And very last, very last poet of this impressive slam. Oh my God, he has a tie on. Yay, ties! Mike Thomas from Ann Arbor! Yeah, shit the bed, all right. <laughs> well, um, how she looked at life as a sparrow trapped in a clock. How she never knew that along the springs and spinning gears, mathematics would dance changing signatures while climbing long ascending phrases to a delicate ticking eternal. The repeated progeny of one focused and rational mind. She is a tirelessly breathless, flapping and frustrated sparrow that emits a gentle tumble of springs and levers set by intention to tick to track the measure of days. I'd like to recite a poem that I've written. Oh, cool. Laugh, you butterfly that dances in the mud. Laugh, you piece of dental floss. You burn me toast. Yeah. Laugh, you pig that flies in the sky with rainbow twinky fluid and three liters of high octane petrol. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bravo. 